Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining another episode of Chandelier Chats. I'm your host, Rochelle LaCour. Today, we have a wonderful guest. Her name is Kimberly Smith. She is a resiliency coach and the founder of Encompass Coaching. And today, we're going to be talking all about relationships. So important, so critical anytime in your life. It doesn't matter where you are in your life right now, whether you're in a relationship with someone else or whether you're in your relationship with yourself. This is something that needs to be talked about. So please join me in welcoming Kimberly. How are you? <laughs> Hello, Rochelle. I am so pumped to be here. So excited to chat with you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. I'm so excited to share in your wisdom and I would love to start with you sharing about who you are, what got you into resiliency coaching, who is yeah. Kimberly Smith? Absolutely. Well, thank you for that beautiful introduction. I am a resiliency coach. Um, you know, what got me into this, you know, so basically what I do and, and how I work with my clients, I'd love to start there is, is I help, you know, busy, ambitious women who really want more for themselves, who want a life with less stress and more ease. I help you achieve that. So that means, you know, building mental stamina, it means increasing our energy, our confidence, our overall resiliency so that we can really take on whatever life throws at us, right? Like life is full of surprises, twists, turns, obstacles, challenges, right? Whatever you want to call it. And really, you know, we have to be resilient. We have to be prepared. We have to, you know, kind of be able to dig in deep sometimes and, you know, find what we need within ourselves to not only like take on those challenges, but get through them gracefully, confidently, um, and still have some of that resilience left over. So um, that is what I help people with. And what led me here is my own life struggles. <laughs> Once upon a time, Rochelle, I was you know, living what I thought was a really great life. Um, I, I had everything that one could possibly really want, right? Like you grow up kind of checking the boxes, right? Like go to school, get a job, like get your career in order. I had a, you know, I was married. I had, you know, owned two properties and be became a mother, right? And life just it took off in a beautiful way, but I became really overwhelmed. I was stressed to the max every day. Um, I had really turned into somebody that I didn't even recognize. Frankly, I was just a little bitchy, <laughs> always on edge. I was frustrated. I had nothing that I was doing was really giving me the satisfaction or the fulfillment that I was hoping for. Mm -hmm. I felt like I could never relax. And, um, it got to the point definitely after I got, after I had my daughter and went back from maternity leave that, uh, I, I started having anxiety and panic attacks, um, to, I've, I've probably always been an anxious person, but it skyrocketed and I had shortness of breath. I was having panic attacks at work or in a car in, in times where really nothing stressful quote unquote was going on, but internally my, my system was rejecting, you know, all of the stress that I was under. And so, you know, that's what set me off on this journey, Rochelle. You know, I, I struggled for a few years to really understand what was my, what was the, what were the causes of my stress? Why was I feeling so anxious and overwhelmed all the time? What were my options? Right. I mean, I was in therapy. I, you know, jumped on the anti-anxiety meds for a short time. And when it came down to it, I realized that there was no amount of medicine that was going to take away the stress in my life. I had to really be proactive in a way that I had never been before to start changing things, to start changing some of my habits, some of my own even personality traits, right? I was a perfectionist, diehard mm -hmm. <laughs> perfectionist, mm -hmm. <laughs> a people pleaser. You know, I had no boundaries. Um, although I appeared to have it all together, like I was, you know, pretty terrible at time management. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, so I had a lot of work to do, you know, and uh, it was really in that, that the depths of that self-discovery that I realized that, you know, honestly, I had been creating much of the stress in my life and I also had the power to make it go away. 
Isn't that interesting? Like to recognize that we are creating the majority of our stress in our lives. It's so uncanny. For it's, sure. Yeah, Very so ironic. Uncanny. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence either. No, it's not. And it's, it was a beautiful realization because then I realized that, you know, ironically, you know, I had been grappling for control in my life in so many real ways and so many metaphorical ways. Right. Like, but the real control came from like changing some of the most simple and obvious things, right. That I had been just kind of letting, letting go. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been a journey, but I'm, I'm here and, you know, I see, I, I saw so many other people experiencing the same thing, right? So my, my previous life before I was a coach, I was uh, in recruiting and staffing for 10 years, very high level of stress, lots of unpredictable variables. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not great for a type A control no. like I was. No. <laughs> and uh, so I was already coaching people into new career opportunities for, for a long time. Um, but I was noticing just in, in my friend circle through, you know, colleagues, people that I was talking to, just my, my candidates, people are stressed. They are overwhelmed by life's responsibilities, by the demands on our time. And there is no, they, they feel like they have nothing left for themselves at the end of the day. They have nothing left for themselves. They have nothing left for their partner, right? Which is what Mm -hmm. we can dive into too. Um, and, and how do you break that cycle? Because for me, I know that it was headed down a very dangerous slope, right? I was already battling anxiety and depression. My marriage was falling apart. I was right there teetering on the edge of complete burnout, which is mental, emotional, physical exhaustion. You've got nothing Mm -hmm. left to give if you're in that burnout stage. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really hard to climb out of it. So I wanted to help people in a way that to show them that there are more resources available. There are a lot of holistic methods out there that you personally can do to really take back control over your mental health, take back control over your stress levels and you know, really create a life that feels better and feels easier and more fulfilling on every single level that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit more about how it impacted your relationship? Oh God. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, me and I, I'm divorced now <laughs> and you know, whether or not I, we could have gotten ahead of things, you know, is a fruitless tunnel to go down, but we were both experiencing a lot of stress. You know, I, my, my husband at the time, he was in a job that was just sucking his soul dry. And, and I saw that and I, you know, as his partner, as his wife, I was trying to be supportive. And and I always gave him that out. I was like, you can go and find another job, leave this. I encouraged him to leave that job. And, you know, men, I think experience a, a you know, the stressors, we all have some of the same. And then women and men also have different cultural expectations and stressors that weigh on us. Right. As a man, I think, you know, he really struggled with well, I have this amazing job that provides financially, I need to man up and stick it out, right? So he didn't feel like he could leave that, right? Like he was kind of struggling in his own right with that. So he wasn't very present in our marriage, right? He was so consumed with his own stress and anxiety. He had nothing left to give at the end of the day. You know, I was not only working 50 hours a week as well, but I was house manager. I was managing a property that was out of state that had a tenant in it. We had no family around where we had moved right after getting married, which was difficult, you know, not having that support system. And we kind of just became, you know, I I remember bringing it up to him. You know, we had conversations about it. I, I went back and found emails from, you know, a year into our marriage saying like, this job is, it's, it's already causing a rift between us. You're turning into somebody different. I could see his priorities shifting. I could see, you know, alcohol being, you know, used more as a coping mechanism versus a social, something mm-hmm. to just enjoy socially. You know, when you bring something up to somebody and you, and you don't feel heard, eventually I stopped bringing it up, mm-hmm. you know, and I stopped even talking about it. You know, I just... I think I had to disassociate from it because it was 
that was also stressful. And I, I didn't really see it when I was amidst it. Right. But we, Mm. there was a wedge, you know, there was a, a void that kind of started becoming bigger and bigger between us. Um, and we didn't really, the connection wasn't there, you know, even a few years into our marriage, I think stress had already done quite a bit of damage. So it was, it was sad because there, there ended up being a reckoning, right? There always is. Mm -hmm. Oh my (laughs) Um, gosh. But yeah, it impacted us both. It definitely, it drove a wedge between us and into our marriage. And for us, it just wasn't salvageable. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and that's a real threat to everybody, I think. Mm -hmm. I think part of it has to do with the fact that that is how our society has been built up. I'm all for women's empowerment, but there's not a lot of good that came from women going into the workforce and, you know, the cost of living increasing every single year to the point where not only do a mother and a father have to be away from their children and work, but now on top of that, they need to have a third stream of income. Otherwise they can't afford to enroll their kids in sports or get quality food at the grocery Mm -hmm. store kind of thing. And I think the stress of that alone compounded with the demands of certain jobs. Like I I heard this talk this morning. If you look at someone who has been in your career for 10 years, like they're 10 years, your senior, are they any further ahead? Are they miserable? Are they happy? Like some people like very small percentage probably would be not everyone. (laughs) It's a hustle. It's, it's a hustle and you see everybody doing it. And most of us grew up seeing our parents hustle. Right. Mm -hmm. And try. And so we've, we've normalized it. This is what we think is the key to our happiness. And, and, you know, you, you do, you have to look at, okay, these people who are, are ahead of you, is their quality of life any better or have they just been stuck in this same rat race, right. For 10 years longer than I have. Right. Mm -hmm. What's the 10 year forward damage on, on your overall, not just mental health, but stress, you know, you know, increases heart disease, cancer, like all of these fatal diseases that are are like the, the most deadly, right. (laughs) For our our nations, long-term chronic stress induces those it's a factor. Mm -hmm. So it's a vicious cycle. And, and I, and that's also where I have a lot of passion is, you know, there's two ways to approach this cultural paradigm shift that needs to take place. Right it needs to happen with the people, right? It needs to happen grassroots level where we just reject it. And we say, no, I'm not available to work 60 hours a week. I've got a family. I need to be home by 6 PM, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you really need the work done, you need to hire more people. You see Mm -hmm. all of these companies operating on a very lean staff or, you know, they just need more people to do the work that they want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Instead of continually stacking it on their veteran employees. Like a lot of people think, oh, I got a raise. It's like, no, they just let go of two people above you. You're being promoted and you're right. getting a small raise. And both of those you're salaries 10 are grand of the $150,000 that they're saving. It's not comparable. Yeah, yeah um, it's not. And it's, and it's not sustainable either, you know, f- from a recruiting background and HR and everything, the cost of turnover is huge. And I don't know, I just did a video about this on LinkedIn because not enough companies really get it, right? I think that they really think people are just replaceable at all levels. And it can take two years for a team member to get to the productivity levels of an existing long-term tenured team member who knows what they're doing on all fronts, right? Wow. Two years. So that's a long time to invest in someone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, the people need to shift it. The, the employers need to shift it, um, collectively, you know, I, I, that's what my hope is for the future, a world where we can have less stress. We can enjoy our lives, the lives that we work so hard for. Right. Mm -hmm. And then maybe, you know, our partnerships, our marriages will, will have more of a chance, right? It takes time to, you know, in a relationship to keep that connection. And if you're exhausted at the end of the day. Yeah. Where is that going to leave you? Oh, I, I agree a hundred percent with this because so many of our partners are 
you know, so for me, it's a little bit different because I work from home and my husband works for a construction company. He loves his job. But the problem is, is when he has like a really hard week or a really hard month or too many projects on his plate, what happens is, is I get the scraps if I get anything at all. And it's like, I don't want the dust from your shoes at the end of the day. Like I want my husband to be able to come home and still have energy to hang out with me and like go for a walk and stuff like that. But when he gets home, he's so exhausted, not to mention he has a long commute, but he's so exhausted. Like we, we don't have a lot of time. So then we're trying to catch up on our time on the weekend. And it's like, you know, we have a really, a really beautiful dynamic, a really beautiful give and take relationship, but that has been a focus of mine is how can I reduce the level of stress that my husband experiences at home to help offset the stress that he's experiencing at work. And I think a lot of people don't think that way. I think a lot of people think, well, I'm really stressed out and it's all about me. Yeah, Yeah. it is. But it's also all about your partner. Like you guys have decided to have the sacred union and it's really important for you to focus on maintaining that sacred union. Yeah. And I think it goes, it definitely goes in both directions. You know, one partner cannot be responsible for managing the stress levels across both people. I think being cognizant of stress, how you're feeling every single day, you know, checking in with each other, you know, you mentioned, yeah, those, you're going to have those tough weeks, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's just being aware enough to really monitor those, right? And mm-hmm. course correct where you need to, because if you continue to let you, that stress, you know, build and build and build, and you never put any boundaries in place or you never, you know, kind of reel things back in, yeah, you can, you can get out of hand pretty quickly. And then you're left with a whole lot of resentment. Oh, um, yeah to unpack (laughs) and resentment leads to bitterness, which, you know, eventually turns to destruction because when you're so filled with bitterness and resentment, you want literally nothing to do with this person. And, you know, like you mentioned in your marriage, you got to the point where you just stopped asking because you didn't feel hurt. And I feel like that is one of the top five reasons why relationships end is because not only does the partner not feel heard, but they don't know how to communicate in a way that's actually effective for the other person to hear. And the other person maybe isn't listening. When we come together in relationship, we're bringing two different lives, two different childhoods, two different parental dynamics, two different experiences, two different bookcases of trauma or whatever comes with that, all the baggage (laughs) that comes with that. And then we're trying to marry it together and hope that the blend goes well and that the spice tastes good. And sometimes it's not a good mix. Yeah. I, and I, gosh, I, there's so much of that to, to dive into because you're right. You know, we are as individuals coming together. It is a lot. It's a much more complex process to blend, you know, the individuality people, right. And to, to honor both. Right. Because Mm -hmm. like you said, I think we all want to feel seen, to feel heard, to be validated, right? Mm-hmm. You know, even if somebody doesn't agree with us, like say you're in a fight with your partner and you're like, yeah, I don't agree with that, but I hear you. Mm-hmm. I hear you. I can appreciate that that is how you feel and that's how you see the situation, you know? And and just giving some space to support your partner in a way like that, right? It's not easy when you've got all these outside stressors and things going on, right? It takes Mm -hmm. intention. Like Mm -hmm. it takes being super intentional. It takes, you know, having a a keen awareness to observe maybe, you know, the body language or the facial expressions or whatever and and call people out, right? I think so many times we we let those small moments go. And, um, you know, one thing that I really appreciate in my relationship now is that, you know, I'm, I'm with somebody who I, he can read everything on my face and he does not let it pass. He's like, what's going on with you right now? What's going on in your head? Yeah. You know, and I'm like, can't I just be alone in these negative thoughts? (laughs) No more of that. So it's been really refreshing uh, (laughs) to have to just, yeah, to, to just tackle that pink elephant in the room sooner than later. Right and practice communication. We all think like, oh, I'm a great communicator. No, most of us are pretty terrible at it. Articulating how we are feeling 
is not an easy thing to do. It takes practice and even naming the emotions that you're feeling because so many emotions, you know, we're just not feeling one emotion at the same time, right? We're often feeling lots of emotions layered on top, blended together, right? Anxiety in itself is an emotion that contains lots of other emotions, right? It can contain grief, fear, confusion, you know, excitement even, right? You know, mm-hmm. and to be able to share that with somebody else, you know, oftentimes we don't even make sense of it on our own, let alone tell somebody else what's happening for us in our brain and our heart and our body, all the things. Mm-hmm. Well, and emotions are very illogical. So like, illogical. <laughs> so, so if you think about it in, in, from the perspective that you're having this disagreement with your spouse or your partner or your friend or your family member or whatever, you're feeling all of these emotions and you're like casting it all out. Like, Oh, I'm feeling really angry right now. And it's like, okay, well maybe you should take five, take a hot (laughs) five minutes and just go and like, let go of the emotions. So you can actually focus on the situation logically because that illogical sensation, those illogical emotions will drive how you communicate. And it's not supportive. It's not effective for building Mm -hmm. communication, let alone effective communication. What do you think about that? Yeah, knowing when to go right out it and and call it out, pounce on it, right, and say let's let's deal with this now, mm-hmm. versus knowing when to take space, mm-hmm. right? When we are stressed out, when we're being bombarded with all of those emotions internally, right? Because that's stressful, even just feeling all of that inside we're, we're not in the right state of mind. Our brains are not firing correctly. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, we are just, we we need to take some breathing room, right. To, like Mm -hmm. you said, release that emotion in a healthy way, take, you know, whether it's taking 10 deep breaths or going for a walk or, you know, brain dumping, journaling it out, getting all your, you know, all your madness out out on a piece of paper. (laughs) (laughs) That always helps. Um, (laughs) And, and then really saying, all right, now I'm okay to talk, right? And, and that's not easy too, right? Is even communicating, I think, saying, you know what, right now, I can't have this conversation. I know that in order to really communicate with you well, in a way that I'm going to be proud of, I need to, I need to sit on this for a little bit. Can we talk later, right? And mm-hmm. that's where like coming up with a I just did this with one of my clients, actually, like um, really coming up with some new guidelines for how you communicate with your partner. How do you guys want to fight? Right. I mean, because I think that, you know, sometimes arguing and disagreements, first of all, they're going to happen. It's natural and it's healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's how can we do this in a respectful way? How can we make Mm -hmm. sure that all of our needs are met? And that it's actually productive, right? Mm -hmm. Like, where is this leading? What's going to be the end result, right? Mm -hmm. Um, How do we both want to feel at the end, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, everybody wants to have makeup sex at the end, right? I mean, that's that's (laughs) the most ideal, right? (laughs) Let's get over this, let's hash this out, and then I'll meet you in the bedroom, right? Yeah, Um, exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, coming up with some new guidelines so that you can really feel good about it, right? And maybe that is just saying you know, what you need in the beginning. Do we want to talk about this now or do we want to wait until later? Having that agreed upon time um, is is so helpful, right? Like you don't always have to be, I, I think a lot of times and something that I struggled with is in my last relationship and my marriage was feeling almost bullied to like, to deal with this at a certain point, like when, when the other person wants to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody gets to be an emotional terrorist, right? Like, <laughs> like, like emotional we, terrorist. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, and I say that with like, like you don't get to demand that somebody, you know, have a conversation at a certain time. You don't get to demand that they share with you their feelings or that they do a certain thing or, you know, it's just like, or, and you don't get to blast your emotions all over somebody mm-hmm. either. That's also mm-hmm. what I call emotional terrorism. So mm-hmm. yeah, guidelines are a good practice they're a good idea. Um, when it comes to relationships and fighting and hashing it out. I also feel like there's a very important piece that is sort of underlying for all of this too, because oftentimes we're taught how to prevent 
a fight or an argument, but we're not taught how to navigate a fight or an argument. And I would love to hear your perspective on this. I have so many perspectives on this, but I would love to hear your perspective on like, what is the importance of how to navigate a fight when you get in an argument? Like, how does that increase your, your success rate in your relationship versus decrease? Well, I definitely think it does. I mean, I think being, like I said before, being seen, being heard, being validated by our partners, by the people who we've chosen to make a life with to a relationship's success. Um, it is a sustainability practice. You can think of it in that regards, right? Like in order mm -hmm. to make it the long haul, like this needs to be you know, something that exists across the board, right. In any type of conversation, even if it's just a friendly debate, right. You know, because mm -hmm. I think that those are really fun too, to, to be able to get into a good conversation with your partner and, you know, you're not fighting about anything, but maybe you're just really discovering new perspectives of each other. Yeah. I mean, whether it's just a normal day-to-day -day conversation or fighting, you have to be able to go in with a plan and have it be productive. When it's not productive, then we're just kind of abusing each other with our sly comments or like our, you know, like degrading somebody or anything like, like those passive things. Aggressive uh, passive aggressive behaviors. Yeah. I think a big thing that comes up for me is compassion. Like mm -hmm. being able to constantly come back to seeing your partner in it through a lens of compassion can help you calm down, right? Can help you go into that tough conversation, you know, not expecting it to escalate, right? Because I think sometimes we're, our heads go there too, that, oh, I, like we just expect a fight to be nasty, right? So mm -hmm. it's going to be, right? Mm -hmm. And not so. We're, we're, you're right. We're not taught how to deal with conflict. So we need to teach ourselves. We need to be able to observe our own behavior, um, our partner's behavior, and, and, and have those even preliminary conversations like, hey, like if we're going to make it, I don't, I don't feel like the way that we're arguing and talking about some of these tough things is going to help help, you know, we've got to create a better way. You know, these are my expectations. This is how I, this is how I hope we can do it together. Right. Like make it a joint effort. Mm -hmm. And yeah, always coming back to seeing each other with compassion, I think is, is also um, big when you're in a tough conversation or within conflict, um, mm -hmm. because we, we, we want to villainize the other person. Oh yeah. Cause we can victimize ourselves then. And then when we victimize ourselves, we prove that we were right about all of our past trauma that we of have course. unresolved. Yeah. That's a whole And then thing. it's so easy to justify our behavior, right? Yeah. Because they're the bad guy. Right. And yeah. I mean, we don't want to villainize our partners. We don't want to make them into this like scary person who's just like terrible. And like, you know, then why are you with them? If they're so exactly. bad, then why are you with them? Right. We, we have to be accountable. Yeah. And, and, and I've seen that too, as an exit strategy with people, you know, they, they villainize people to the point where they, they are then justified their reason to leave. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, you know, that's, that's a dig. That's a deep, that's a deep thing to dig into. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's also one of those things where it's like, oh, well, I told my mom that you're not a good person. So now it's officially over. Cause I told my mom, you oh, know, well, and, and as soon as you start another player of it that, too. Yeah. As soon as you start taking that demonization outside of your relationship, as soon as you take any major conflicts outside of your relationship, I feel like that sort of opens up a can of worms because you're providing a one-sided perspective into what happened. And if you're yeah. already, if you've already experienced trauma, you're going to most likely, if it's unresolved, be operating from that place. Again, going back to that victimhood mindset and it just continues to perpetuate and push through and push through until you finally look at yourself and be like, oh crap, I'm the reason why this fight keeps happening. I constantly feel like I'm not heard because so-and-so and my mom never made me feel heard when I was growing up or I was never listened to or nobody ever asked me this and that or A and B kind of thing. I think that that fundamentally, as you know, childhood conception to age seven, 
fundamentally are the years that shape our lives, the way we interact with one another, the way we recognize social cues. That's a whole other subject with what is going on right now. (laughs) Like I can't even with that right now. And it's just so important to recognize that these, these factors and these experiences are what comes out in your relationship. So I feel like relationships often bring out like any unresolved trauma they will bring out. It's just like, I've heard, I've heard this more numerous times that when you have children, any unresolved trauma that you are harboring when you have kids, all of it's getting brought up. Doesn't matter what it is. It's all being brought up. And I think, I think you could probably speak to that as well. Like, what was that like transitioning your relationship from no children to having a child? Yeah. I mean, well, and that's where, you know, things really got shaken up. Like I said, because, you know, I consider myself a really high, high energy person just naturally, you know, and I like to be busy that of course that type a perfectionist, whatever, like we just love a good project. Right. So, (laughs) so although, you know, the wedge was already being kind of driven between me and my husband because of our jobs, because of stress, because of life, it was kicked up a notch when we had our daughter, because then I realized number one, just how much I was doing. I also realized how unsupported I was at home and I, I couldn't do anything. Mike, I I had to admit that my capacity was at its max, right? Like I could not take on any more. And that forced me into some really uncomfortable places, right? It forced me to reckon with the fact that I need to ask for help. Asking for help is not an easy thing. (laughs) And it was never easy for me looking back, you know, like you said, a lot of these behavior patterns and, you know, things that we've learned about the world, you know, it, it comes from when we were kids, you know, I was the youngest of three kids to a single mother who was going blind. Mm-hmm. So the message that I received pretty clearly was that my needs came at the bottom of the list. My, my brother and sister's needs were more important on the hierarchy. My mom's needs were more important, you know. I learned to be quiet, to observe, to be helpful, to support other people, right? And in turn, that led to self-neglect and self-abandonment, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that came up in my marriage. That was a pattern that repeated itself. I abandoned myself to support my husband, right? I self-neglected. I neglected myself and my needs to support my husband, to make sure that he was comfortable. So, so that he felt supported, so that he felt like he could go and focus on his big job. My job wasn't as important in my mind. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yeah, it, it definitely played out for sure in my marriage. Right. And you know, and, and that's where compassion comes in too, because he too, you know, was living up to how he was raised, right? And also what he learned in his childhood. His dad went off and was the breadwinner. He did the working outside of the house. His mom did everything inside the house. And from, you know, all the normal domestic duties to like putting up his basketball hoop, like literally all his dad did was his job. There was no, there was no help in the, in the domestic realm. Hmm. And that's what it felt like to me in my marriage. I mean, I, at the end, I was like, you just have to show up. Like, that's really all you're doing is showing up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but it was because I, you know, and, and there, there came a point where, yeah, I needed to take responsibility for the fact that like, I'm not going to neglect myself any longer. Mm -hmm. Nope. That's the old Kimberly. Mm -hmm. My needs do matter. Right. I am on the, I I'm there. This is not a hierarchy. This is a equilibrium, right? Like this is, mm-hmm. I always envisioned a more egalitarian, you know, partnership. And that was not what I ended up living in. Right. So it was up to me to change it. Yeah. Taking responsibility is a big task because a lot of us would rather, and again, this goes back to the victim mindset. We would rather blame or villainize our partners or our spouses or other people, our families and demonize them. Because if we can 
remove ourselves from that situation and put ourselves on a pedestal it's like oh well this is just a, a result of that and you know these people are just toxic and whatever there are toxic relationships hands down there are a lot of toxic relationships narcissistic sure. relationships all that kind of crap super toxic but i think again you know like taking responsibility becoming self-aware that is the that is the key. Like, I, I'm not sure why this can be so difficult for people to grasp, but I think because we end up getting so wrapped up in our own drama, we're literally living, you know, the days of our lives, soap opera in our daily life, back and forth with our partner. We, we don't even know what we're fighting about. And a deeper question, do you even know what you're fighting for? Are you fighting for your relationship or are you fighting for your victim mindset or are you fighting for your trauma? Like, what are you actually fighting for? That is my question. So good. Yep. It's a big That's my question. question. Answer that shit. Answer that yeah. question right now. <laughs> I need to know. Send me a message. I want to know what are you fighting for? Like, what are you, what is it actually at the root that you think you're fighting about? I yeah. want to know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and we have to fight for ourselves. We have to fight for something better, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like, I think, you know, trauma is, not talked about enough, right? Nope. I mean, mental health is not talked about enough. Like these nope. things need to come out of the shadows. They're real, right? Like we all have some level of trauma that we've been through. We've, we are all wounded, mm -hmm. right? So it's not a competition of whose wounds are the ugliest or the deepest, right? Yep. yep. Um, whose scars are, are, are visible, right? They're all there. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, when you can constantly come back to compassion, right? And the fact mm -hmm. that people are not trying to, most people I think really mean well. And I, I don't think you. that they're trying to be vicious or malicious or any of that, right? Like giving, being generous with your assumptions and judgments of people, right? In the sense that like, you know, hey, they're going through some shit. They're, they're going through some, they're going through a hard time right now. Gosh, I can only imagine. Yeah. I can understand why they'd be short, why they'd be annoyed, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. With your with your partner too, right? Maybe they've got a hell of a lot going on at their job or their their personal family, you know, their siblings or something's going on with their parents or whatever. It's like even though you're their you're their partner, you still don't quite know what it's like from their perspective, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um the thing yeah. to walk a day in someone else's shoes. I think it's really important as well to back up and observe what is going on. Like put yourself in your partner's shoes. Like what would it have been like? Like, what did they experience that day? It's the same thing. Like I talk about this often, like when I'm driving down, you know, a highway and somebody cuts me off or they flip me off or something or whatever, you know, I just wish them well, because I'm like, well, first of all, I don't know what's going on in your life. You might've just lost a parent or a loved one this morning. You, you know, you might've just found out your spouse is having an affair or something like that. I don't know what you're going on with. So I just wish them well. I, like I don't amplify the hate, hatred and be like, oh, you're a terrible person. Yeah. You know, like I don't, I don't get involved in it because the second you engage in that, you become a part of it and then you just add to the drama. So disengage, pull back and observe like, okay, maybe my partner had a really tough day. And even asking that question, some in my experience, most dudes don't want to talk about it, but just mm -hmm. the fact that you're willing to ask them, like, how, how are you? How was your day today? Do you want to talk about it? And giving them the option can be enough for them to say to themselves, wow, like my partner really cares about me. My wife really loves me. My husband really loves me. They love me enough to ask that. I think that that is also like a very gentle way to, you know, elicit compassion in a relationship without making it this big ornate right. experience. Well, it's the simple things, right? I mean, it's the simple gestures that really mean a lot, right? And whether that's from, you know, a stranger or from your partner, right? Like you notice those little things mm -hmm. and you also notice when they're not there and they're not happening, right? Yep. And if it's not meeting your needs. Yeah, I mean, knowing... I think people also have to see themselves as a partner, right? Mm -hmm. We, like, like you said, we get caught up in our own drama, our own emotions. Like, you know, we live in our body. So we have, we often have a very one-sided perspective. So yeah, working on your, not only your personal awareness of how you're behaving, but 
you know, what's going on with other people? What's the dynamic? What's the vibe? What's the energy that you're putting off? Right. And also like that, it's not just about you. It's about the other person. It's about like that mutual support that you're giving each other. Do you feel like you're getting enough of what you're giving? Right. You know, and mm-hmm. it, it, I hate to say, say it like that. Cause it's not about like keeping score, but yeah. I do think that if you're in a partnership, you do need to hold the other person accountable. Right. Mm-hmm not nitpicking over every little thing or if say like, you know, that they've had a tough week. Okay. Like that's where grace comes in. Right. We have to Mm -hmm. allow things to not be perfect all the time. Um, but yeah, like what's the limit? That's the question, right? What is your limit of dealing with some of this excess stress and having things be a little off course before you say, all right, I get it. This has been happening and we're kind of both been like dealing with our own stuff. I feel like we got to cut that loose and come back to the the foundation that we've built. Mm-hmm. I think the foundation is also, well, it's the most critical piece because you can't build a house on a, on a lake. Well, right. I mean, you can, but you need a foundation to lay it upon. Otherwise the house is just going to sink. So right. it defeats the purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I super, super love that. And it's really important to remember that it isn't about keeping score. And, you know, I myself am, am guilty of sometimes getting swept up a little bit. I forget that my husband works a high stress job and I'm like, do you know what I had to do today? And he's like, I want to know what I had to do today. I'm like, right. Thank you for that. But that's, that's the beauty of our relationship is he knows that he can call me out on my shit. And I know I can call him on, out on his shit. We have a, like, we have a very, I call it a tango. We have a very powerful tango and it just ebbs and flows. I believe without a doubt that relationships are hundred percent from each party. It's not, I show up 50%, you show up 50% and that makes hundred percent. No, we both show up at hundred percent because there are going to be times where your partner is only able to do 80% because of whatever, where you're only going to be able to do 80% of whatever. So that way you constantly know that a hundred percent is going into your relationship, no matter where the other party is at. And I'm curious, what do you think about that? Yeah. You know, I think relationships come in all, in all dimensions and sizes and shapes and like what works for one person or one couple isn't going to work for another couple. Right. That's why it's like, you know, we truly need to find our, the person that we can match with, that we can tango with. I love that you use tango because it is, it's, it's, we have this idea of like life being completely in balance and that includes our relationship, right. As it blends with say our, you know, career and other family and all that. Right. Mm -hmm. But things are never going to be completely in balance. You know, that is also a cultural lie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, people are always striving for balance, but balance just doesn't exist. It's really harmony that we're after. We're after things being in harmony and working well together. And, you know, the truth is that like one week, your job may need you a lot. Right. And the next week, your family or your partner is going to need a lot of you. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where, you know, that ebbing and flowing, we haven't normalized it. We, we haven't practiced it. We have to be intentional about practicing it and, and have the awareness like, okay, things are shifting over here now. Okay. This week we're over here. And, and that's what resilience is, right. It is, you know, expanding when we need to expand, it is elasticity, right? It's like coming back to our original form, to that foundation, to that as close as we can get to that equilibrium state, that homeostasis that we all want. And that's part of the fun of it too, right? I mean, so how people create that, yeah, there has to be a foundation. What do you want that, what do you want that to look like for your relationship, right? It doesn't necessarily need to look like your neighbor's foundation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what are your core values? What are your core relationship values, right? How, what are the, what are the guidelines for that conflict that we talked about earlier, right? Mm-hmm. What's our plan of action when like, shit gets messy, right? Because there's bound to be some messy moments, right? Like change is unpredictable and our, our, yeah, change in life are just both unpredictable. So when like, what's our like disaster recovery plan? Almost (laughs) like, how do we come out of this? Like if we get blindsided by something, how are we going to work together to get ourselves, to save ourselves, to get ourselves to a better place? 
Mm-hmm. I think having an ERP and emergency response plan is critical. Oh. And I don't mean an exit strategy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel like exit strategies are often a cop out. I mean, you have to know when to fold it on the relationship, but also sure. relationships take work. There, there are very, very, very probably like 0.001% of relationships in, in my personal opinion that are actually just have no conflict whatsoever. I feel like the best relationships are the ones that have conflict. It doesn't mean like, you know, getting in a fist fight about something or or that type of conflict, but I mean, where you can sort of stretch each other and and move each other past what they think is comfortable because, you know, we don't grow from a place of comfort. We grow from a place of discomfort and relationships can be very uncomfortable sometimes. And that is our opportunity. Yeah. Super uncomfortable. And I have to check myself here for sure. Right. As I've you know, try, as I've thought about, Hey, what is my, ne- my relationship really, what do I want my next relationship to look like? Right. And then now that I'm in a relationship, okay. Like kind of being in that monitoring state and that observation of, yeah, holding myself accountable, realizing when maybe I am falling into those old patterns and okay, is this playing out in a way that I've seen it played out before, right? Am I being generous with my assumptions? Am I, you know, looking at this through a lens of compassion? Yeah. And it's, it's not easy. It's a work in progress. Yeah. A work in progress for sure. For sure. We got to give up this hope for perfection, right? Is what I'm saying. Like the perfect relationship where you're never uncomfortable. You're right. Like that might be kind of boring, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, is that going to meet your, we think that that's what we're after, right? Is this like stable, like everything just, but again, that's, that's not, that's not necessarily going to be fulfilling for us either. Right. The grass is always greener, right? Well, why don't we go to the grass <laughs> until here? You, until you get across over the fence and you realize the lawn is fake. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> it, it got turf. That's why it's greener. Cause it's can fake. <laughs> yeah, I know it's and knowing when to leave. Right. I mean, gosh, oh, that is, that's a big one. Right. I think, you know, I think there's the, your intuition tells you, but that can also be a really great area because we do want to, I think I've fought with this within my marriage too, for a long time. And, and it's something that maybe I'll never really know. You know, I think me and my husband succumbed to the timeline of life, right? And what we thought was going to bring us happiness. When I try and answer the question, were we really ever meant for each other, right? Or were Mm -hmm. we right for each other? You know, we were so young. We didn't know ourselves. We were so unaware of who we were, our own behavior, how that impacted that. There were so many layers to it. But, you know, there did come a point where I realized that like the needs that I had were not something that he were going, he was going to be able to fulfill. Right. Mm -hmm. Like on not even close. Right. Um, because of how different we were in many ways. Right. And I think that's where maybe that decision get that you gain some clarity around, okay, is this relationship really working? Is it leading where I want it to go? Right. I don't think, I, I don't know if couples really talk about like, what do you envision for your life? What do you envision for your future? What do you want our relationship to look like? Right? Like maybe they talk about like, Hey, do you want to have kids? Okay. Yeah. I want to have kids too. Right. But how often are you checking in with your partner to make sure that you're really still in line? Totally. Are you growing individually? Is that still on track or are you, or are your paths kind of moving further and further away? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, relationships. I mean, you see monogamy, but I mean, people are terrible at monogamy. Now you see a lot of other people experimenting with different relationship styles and, you know, who knows who everybody wants something different. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that that goes back to, again, like the foundation that you grew up with and your parental guidelines. If you had parents, if you didn't have parents, what your siblings were like, there's again, it all goes back to an underlying unmet need. And in my personal opinion, that's usually the root cause of things or 
narcissism, but narcissism <laughs> also stems from like everything seems to stem from the childhood. I'm just going to sort of like allude to that, that it yeah. seems like it just sort of the triangle points to that. The arrows all point to that. So Kimberly, I have been super enjoying this conversation with you today. It has been so wonderful having you as a guest and I would love to close with some final words of wisdom from you for our listeners and our viewers. Yeah, I think that taking an inventory of your life from time to time, you know, I, a lot of people do that around the new year. I think, you know, a self check-in like every six months, every quarter, I think that's a really great practice to get in place, you know, to make sure that like, what are the factors in your life that are meeting your needs? Are you, are you happy? how are your stress levels? Where are your stress levels coming from, right? Revisiting your values and the life that you envisioned yourself or the life that you continue to envision for yourself. Are those pieces coming together? There are so many creative ways to shift the trajectory of your life. And just because you've chosen doesn't mean you need to stay on that specific path forever. There's a lot of beauty and change, especially when you initiate it and, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to shake things up. You know, I think that's what makes life interesting. You know, there's already so many challenges and we've been taught that those things are scary, but we can change the context of that and see it through, see it as just an exciting, our journey, right? So yeah, don't be afraid to shake things up. You know, don't forget to use your resources. We're not meant to, to do this or go it alone, right? So, you know, hiring a coach to really discover some of these layers of who you are, really explore where you want to go and how to make that happen is, is an incredible resource that I, you know, of course, encourage everybody to look into. So yeah, those are my, those are my words of wisdom. <laughs> Thank you. And how can people get in touch with you? How can they connect with you? Absolutely. Well, you can visit my website, which is www.encompasscoachingservices.com. Also follow me on Instagram. I do a lot on there. It is at Kimberly.Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E.Smith. Um, and I'm on Facebook too. I've got a great private Facebook group called yeah, the Resilient Working Women's Society. We do free monthly trainings. There's a freebie on my website for an ebook. So definitely grab that um, as one of your, your tools and resources to basically help you be the most resilient in this weird modern world that we live in. So yeah, I welcome everyone to connect. Thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure having you here, Kimberly. And until Yay. next time. Absolutely. Thanks, Rochelle. You're welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, I would love it if you shared this podcast. And if you have any feedback, please, please share it with me. Thank you. Mm -hmm.